Connell Tribune, Thursday, twentieth of June, twenty eighteen. World Cup, twenty eighteen. It's not over yet. It is now. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to take a pitch side view of the World Cup and remind us of the glory days for Irish fans and their highest fans across borders and continents chasing the impossible dream and loving every moment of the journey. Ken Wilson Holmes famous exclamation in the last seconds of the 66 World Cup final are punctuated by Jeff Hurst's third goal of a hat-trick. Ken had just uttered the words, it's not over yet, when Hurst administered the coup de grace to the Germans. It is now. Bobby Muir would set up, set up to lift the Jules Remy trophy at Wembley. England's one and only victory in the greatest football tournament of all. And probably if there hadn't have been a short-sighted Russian linesman officiating on the near side, his horse bounced a shot of the underside of the crossbar, which bounced again off the goal line and back out to play. Then we definitely wouldn't have been subjected to Christmas repeats of 66 and all that for the past 52 years. Whatever about the merits of Alf Ramsey's wingless wonders, Ingerland John, a group of elite nations which have lifted the coveted trophy since it was first played for in 1930. Brazil five times, Italy four, Germany four and Uruguay two, Argentina two, France and Spain one each. I'm not writing this with any great nostalgic feelings about Alan Ball, Roger Hunter, Gordon Banks. Although I have some feelings of empathy for Jimmy Greaves, who was my first footballing hero and missed out in the final. Of course, there's not an Irishman living who hasn't great time for Jack Charlton after Germany 88, Italia 90 and USA 94. It's World Cup time again, the biggest sporting occasion on the planet. Once every four year extravaganza of football genius showcasing the beautiful game of soccer played in every village the world over. It's a month which is men in a sport in heaven and women pulling their hair out and recording Fair City and Exposé and the RT and TV fee player. I better hasten to add, not all women, as the Republic have just been trying to qualify for the Ladies World Cup and more women than ever are playing football, both soccer and ga, with Donegal ladies just after winning Ulster with half of the tournament team involved. But for the next month, our TV screens will be full of pretty boy Ronaldo and the genius of Messi, magical moments, controversial decisions, penalty shootouts, and despite Ireland being united in our non-representation at the tournament, hopefully we will enjoy the Russian World Cup. As I thought about writing this piece, I felt as if our lives could be compartmentalised into segments of four years. The time span between World Cups, thinking of where we were, what we were doing at that particular stage in life, because we can all recall those magic moments. Brazil 1970, Argentina 78, France 98, Spain 2010. Of course, that's if you're an aficionado of the beautiful game. If not, I suppose the Donegal Rally or Wimbledon might do it for you, even the Donegal Oil Race across America. But how overhead camshafts, Serena Williams on the centre court, or Boyd's 24-hour commentary from the Appalachian Mountains to the Great Plains can compare to Pelle, Maradona, Ronaldo or Messi, magnificence is beyond me. 
Interestingly, Jim McGuinness in his time as Donegal manager said he based his plan on a four-year cycle of the World Cup and Olympic Games as a combination of intense preparation and commitment came to fruition. My memory of World Cups begins in Terman in 66 in a hell-raising drive from Letterkenny in an uncle's car to see his, our nearest and dearest neighbours defeat Germany in the mountain bar. We can't recall if unlike today we would all be supporting the Germans, especially if that nice kind old German World War II attorney Walter Lichtenfeld was in the bar. But I never trusted Russian linesmen with memories of Stalingrad after that. I actually recall more of the earlier games than the actual final. England making the Wembley factor count, but Jimmy Greaves wouldn't. Argentina and Ratten, Portugal and Eusebio, the wee North Koreans, and of course our very own superstar, Georgie Best, who wouldn't grace the greatest stage of all, and unfortunately never would. My lifelong love for the beautiful game had started out not long before that. I'd seen the first Ulster final live, Donegal versus Down in 66, and it turned me off the guy. Well, at least until my boys started playing in the 80s. Even worse than Jeff or Satrick. As for previous World Cups, there were only four held before I made an appearance in the world. Uruguay and Italy sharing them in 30, 34, 38 and 50. I was born just before Germany defeated probably the greatest team of all time, the Magical Magwars of Hungary in 54. Then too young for Pelle and the great Brazilians in 58 and 62. So Angerland were still ruling the waves when I embraced the poetically descriptive beautiful game. But now in the era of disgust and wealth in the Premiership they hardly make a splash in a puddle. By 1970 football was becoming the world game, colour television enhanced our viewing. We all wanted to be Jinky Johnson, Georgie Vest or Pelle. Our world in Belfast was in turmoil and weekends were more taken up with rioting with British soldiers and watching match of the day. In their wisdom, the government and army decided to put the Lower Falls under a three-day curfew. And while luckily avoiding CS gas and the tentacles of the illegal curfew, it was off to the hills for a month in the magic of Jorginho, Tostow, Gerson and Carlos Alberto and the incomparable Edson de Rantes de Nascimento, or more commonly known as Pele. After being injured in Chile in 62 and kicked out of England in 66, his displays put a seal on his claim to be the greatest player of all time. His assist for Jairzinho to end England's holding the World Cup forever and a superb leaping header was produced to save of all time from Banks were moments of magic. His goals in the semi with Uruguay and the genius of running one way around the keeper and letting the ball go the other way was something special. And the final against Italy was a game of the ages with Pelle dictating play and Carlos Alberto probably scoring the goal which quintessentially personifies the beautiful game. 1974 witnessed the powerhouses of European football sweep all in front of them. Holland and Germany were in a purple purple patch with club teams. Feyenoord, Ajax and Bayern Munich winning seven European Cups in a row and the national teams reaching the World Cup final. Also Scotland made the finals with Danny McGrain, Billy Bremner and Kenny Dalglish but England didn't after an amazing goalkeeper display at Wembley by Ian, 
Jan Chamachewski, similar to Peggy Boner in Stuttgart 14 years later. The Dutch were the team of the tournament, but the Germans being the Germans. With goal poacher supreme Gerd Muller and Fair, they broke Dutch hearts, not for the first time that decade. At home, we were in the throes of urban guerrilla war, the UWC strike, Dublin Monaghan bombings, creative arsonists burnt long cash to the ground, while ABBA rocked Eurovision world with Waterloo. 1978 and the lure of the hills proved too much for me and I swapped my urban jungle for hay, turf and Charlie's chip fan at Terman Hall and a great World Cup in Latin America. For the second time in succession, England failed to make the grade and they think they're bad now. But once again, Scotland did and who could forget Archie Gemmell's genius of a goal against Holland, but unfortunately they just came up short once again. The Dutch made it to the final, but Argentino, Mario Campes and the magnificent ticker tape celebrations are the abiding memories of a great World Cup. On the home front of Fledge and Lurgy Celtic were making waves in the Donegal League, or maybe playing furrows might be more appropriate on the bog of a pitch. They were difficult times economically with emigration featuring once again, and it would get much worse before it got better. 1982 brought the all-dancing razzmatazz of a World Cup to España. England got their act together for the first time in 12 years and were joined by Scotland, Northern Ireland with Martin O'Neill, Jerry Armstrong and Pat Jennings, meaning the GEA featured in a World Cup for the first time. Probably the best football match I've ever seen was a group stage game between Brazil and Italy. Outstanding skill and fitness from two of the giants of world football. Genius from Zico, Falcao and Dr. Socrates wasn't enough to stop a hat-trick from Paolo Rossi sending the Azuri through and they would take Germany in the great final with one Marco Tardelli scoring. The 82 World Cup witnessed the emergence of the greatest player of his generation. He could have played in five World Cups but in 78 at 15 was deemed too young by his manager. His first appearance on the world stage had a disappointing ending as he was sent off against Brazil, but the world would soon recognise his talents, the incomparable Maradona. Whatever the journeymen of Northern Ireland were doing in the company of Socrates, Maradona, Gentili and Platini, they gave it their best shot, and Jerry Armstrong from the Falls Road scored to defeat the host Spain and land himself a future career as Sky's Spanish correspondent. Back at home, they were difficult years, the hunger strikes in 81, government instability, the miners' strike in the UK, the Falklands, Malvinas, the Stardust disaster. It just felt a period of never-ending doom and gloom, dark, dark days. 1986 brought the finals back to Latin America as Mexico hosted the tournament and probably the greatest individual contribution since Pele in 1970. Diego Maradona was at his peak at international and club level where he would lead Napoli to Serie A, their first and the first southern Italian team to do so, and Argentina to two World Cup finals win and one. Norn Ireland were back with Big Pat Jennings celebrating his 41st birthday against Brazil, and just recently he had a golf lesson with Neil Gallagher and Dunfanahy. Scotland also featured for the fourth consecutive tournament after qualifying in tragic circumstances when the great Jock Steen died in the touchline during the final group game. 
The tournament will always be remembered for the genius of Maradona and especially his part in defeating England and remembered there for the hand of God and in the rest of the world as the greatest player on the planet. It was only a few years after Thatcher sent the Armada to the South Atlantic and the Mulvenas crisis. Tension was high when the two met and no love lost after the Belgrano and 300 young sailors dispatched to a watery grave and countless lives lost over a British rock with more sheep than people 7,000 miles from London. There was no debate on what side Irish people were in in 86 or probably any other year. Even the man you and Liverpool supporters who take their weekly adrenaline dose in Manfield or Old Trafford were convinced with the rest of us that Maradona scored a perfectly good first goal and any resemblance to a Tony Boyle fisted goal at Clonus was purely coincidental. Whatever about the controversy over the opening goal, the second goal would always be remembered for all time as a piece of genius, like Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel or Tiger chipping in at the 16th at Augusta. British troops exiting Beggar's Bush for the last time in 1922 since arriving with Henry II in 1172 or Gran Yashogi presenting up for the match before Donegal won Sam in 2012. All things of beauty to be continued. Sounded good.